0: Welcome to the marvel of mind-body medicine. Over the next hour, you will learn about your own healing superpowers and how to access them. The latest in epigenetics meets ancient wisdom. Your hosts are Dr. Laura Stuve, a molecular biologist who mapped the human genome, and Dr. Janet Galipo, a doctor of Chinese medicine who has traveled the world to ensure all have access to healthcare. These sought-after practitioners and instructors of science-based, intuitive medicine want to emphasize, your body has answers.
1: Welcome to the marvel of mind-body
2: medicine. I am Dr. Janet Galipo. I'm Dr. Laura Tuvet. So welcome, everyone. We're excited to have you joining us today. We're going to be learning about the profound impact of our gut microbiome on the functioning of our brain's our emotions and our overall health. So first I just wanna set the stage for our conversation today. It was a little over 10 years ago when a international consortium, the Human Microbiome Project researchers started publishing their findings. So they did an initial survey of the microbial ecosystems in different nooks and crannies of the body. So the bacteria that live in our mouth, versus our digestive tract, versus our lungs, versus the surface of our eyes. And this work really illuminated that we as humans are an ecosystem of human cells together with different types of microbes, like bacteria and fungus, and even viruses. And this network of human cells and microbes send a lot of communication signals back and forth to keep our cells healthy. However, in the last 75 years or so, our modern lifestyles have really beat up our inner ecosystems, our microbiomes. And so this widespread destruction of our uh, microbiome has led to quite a bit of dysregulation of our immune system, and a lot of different types of chronic disease. And we're going to be hearing more about that today. So this is a particular area of interest for me as both a scientist and a healthcare practitioner. So I've been following the science since the beginning of this work. And in 2014, I came out with a course that I've developed on microbiome science for mind body medicine practitioners. And I've been teaching that course ever since. So I feel that it's very important that everyone understands a bit about their microbiome and how to keep it happy um, to stay healthy. So we're honored today to have a microbiome pioneer and expert, Dr. Emeran Mayer, MD, and he's gonna catch us up on everything we need to know about our microbiome to stay healthy. So Dr. Mayer is a gastroenterologist, a neuroscientist and a distinguished research professor at the school of medicine at UCLA at this uh, campus. He founded their microbiome center and he directs that center. He is a lead researcher in the science of a network of interaction between our brain, our digestive tract and our microbiome. And this network has a wide range of applications in digestive issues, psychiatric, and neurological disorders like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and depression. So Dr. Mayer has published hundreds of papers in this area, written a couple of books, including his best-selling book, The Mind-Gut Connection. And later this year, we'll be able to find out more about this connection in a PBS documentary that he's working on. So um, thank you so much for joining us today, Emerin. We'd like to welcome you to our program.
3: Well, thanks, Laura, for this kind introduction and for um, inviting me to be on the show. Really looking forward to talking to both of you.
2: Thank you. Um, so to start our conversation, most everyone by now is aware that they have a microbiome, um, but it's been many years since the initial science came out, and I know that scientists and clinicians have been busy, and there's a lot of new information. So, what should everyone know about their gut microbiome and its connection to their health from the the latest research that's available today?
3: Well, I mean, you, you laid out some of these concepts already that, you know, we're dealing not with individual cells like pathogens, but we're dealing with an ecosystem of literally 40 trillion cells just in the GI tract. There's more in, in the oral cavity and um, even in our stomach. H. pylori was the first one that, uh, you know, got uh, got a lot of attention. <clears throat> and I think what we need to understand is that this this ecosystem... Even though we don't see it, um, it's it's incredibly complex. It's it's the densest um, microbial ecosystem on the planet. I mean, there's more microbes if you put all the your oceans I mean, together, but in in terms of the concentration, it's the densest um, and probably the most sophisticated communication system that uh, that there is, and again as uh, as you laid out i mean there's a close communication as we've learned between these microbes and the gut specialized cells in the gut immune cells nerve cells hormone hormone producing cells and the enteric nervous system and there's a very close connection between the food that we eat uh, because that's essentially the the fuel for the microbes and um and then the third connection is really with, with the gut-based immune system, which is microbes, microns away from, from these, you know, massive number of, of, of microbes. And by a very elaborate engineering mechanism of nature, um, it, it's prevented that these microbes engage the immune system inappropriately in a healthy person. And what has happened is, and we can probably talk about this later, a lot through our diet but also through our lifestyles, lack of physical exercise, chronic stress, allostatic load, that barrier between our microbes uh, and the immune system has been weakened and many of us, you know, probably in North America up to 40% of um, people, even though they may feel healthy, Uh, they have a compromised um, gut barrier and have an inappropriate engagement of the immune system, both in the gut, but also spreading throughout the body. So this is what this, uh, you know, probably the cause of our current chronic disease epidemic um, is caused by to a large degree.
2: So in terms of this, this delicate, Connection between the, the microbiome and the gut and the immune system that, that's right there. Um, what What is getting triggered in the immune system now that, that that barrier is weakening? And what impact does that have on our, our mood and our brain function?
3: So what's been happening is... Um, and it's it's a convergence of factors. It's not just diet, you know. Chronic stress is doing almost something similar to uh, the unhealthy North American diet. That it it is thinning the um, the barrier, the mucus layer, and it's um, opening some of these tight junctions that uh, create a very tight barrier of cells. Um, if both of these layers, the mucus layer and the what we call the epithelial layer, is compromised, then microbes can invade this, this mucus layer, um, and even without getting into our bloodstream, they come in contact with these sensors of certain immune cells, the dendritic cells, and activate these cells to produce uh, inflammatory mediators such as cytokines um, and all a whole range of other uh, molecules. So, this immune activation can be limited to the gut. Um, so, before we actually get what's often referred to as a leaky gut, so just the shrinking of the mucus layer alone will enable these immune sensors to come in contact with the cells. And now they, um, so the immune system does not like to see um, any kind of microbe, even a benign microbe, being in close contact with it. So it rings the alarm bells. And these dendritic cells can all also migrate from the gut to other organs, for example, into the liver. So then the liver becomes an inflammatory organ. Um so main, you know, a, an, an important cause of uh, non-alcoholic uh, liver disease is is this you know inflammation of the liver through through this mechanism that we talked about. Um the immune activation that spreads through the bloodstream from the gut is called metabolic endotoxemia. So normally, what we refer to with endotoxemia is like with an infection, um, if, if this infection reaches the bloodstream, becomes systemic, um, cause endotoxemia, a, a dangerous condition. With metabolic endotoxemia, we don't develop a fever. We don't feel it. It's almost like hypertension, high, high blood pressure. It becomes a major risk factor for chronic diseases, but we don't, but we don't know about it. You know, if you ask, I often start my lectures. Uh, you know, ask the, the audience, several hundred people, um, who do you think in this audience has metabolic endotoxemia? And you know, very few hands go up because people don't think they have that, but then I tell them the numbers, you know, that it's it could be up to 40%, particularly if, if it's a slightly overweight or obese audience. Um, so then the, the second part of your question was, how does this influence our mood and our emotions? This evidence comes primarily from animal studies. Um, they also came up um, for the first time about 10 years ago and and it was so um, so unusual to read this and to hear about this that uh, I personally did not trust the science. I thought, I'd just wait it out and see if this is being refuted. But more and more studies came out, and I have to emphasize the evidence continues to come. The causal evidence for microbes playing a role in um, in mood changes, anxiety, uh, but also other. You know, brain diseases like neurodegenerative brain diseases, that causal evidence comes still primarily from animal models. Um, because it's difficult to know it's not easy to show this in animals. You can you have animals that don't have any of their own microbes and you can transplant the microbes um, from one animal to another or from a human patient to an animal obviously we can't do this in humans. Um, We do fecal microbial transplantation for therapeutic purposes and in a a particular form of colitis, but but we can't transfer ethically disease from one to another. And there's very few examples in the literature that this has actually happened accidentally. So what we have, the evidence we have in humans is a lot of epidemiological association, cross-sectional studies, where we compare one population that has a disease with another one that doesn't have the disease, and we can say in the one with the disease, there's there's an alteration in the gut microbes and their metabolites. There's some recent, very recent, two big studies out of Europe, out of Belgium, that have done this on on, on big databases of, of individuals. And that was, you know, supportive of, of this idea. But um, we're still waiting. But this is probably the biggest challenge in this field. You know, the the animal studies have moved forward so rapidly and to such exciting results, but we haven't been able to really say now to a patient, okay, if you if you have these this type of bacteria in your gut, or you know, to say complete viruses in your gut. Then this will cause Alzheimer's disease, or this will cause this is the cause of your depression. If you get rid of these these, these unhealthy bacteria, you can cure your depression. That's often claimed implicitly in the lay press, also often by I, I would say by scientists. But the, uh, the you know the, the the reality is that it has just not happened. That proof.
1: So, Dr. Mayer, I I hear you saying that you believe that there may be a connection between the health of our gut microbiome and chronic depression or anxiety. And so, if that's the case, do you have any recommendations for our listeners suffering with one of these mental health issues?
3: Yeah. And before I answer this, one quick um, addition. So, in these associations that we do, do have in large populations, you know, the big question is, what's the chicken and the egg? Um, we generally tend to the, uh, you know, the literature tends to imply the microbes cause the, the the brain disorders, but we have very good evidence actually also from human studies that anything that goes on within the brain, such as chronic stress, allostatic load, anxiety, um, Will have an effect on the microbes, both on the microbes directly. They have receptors for these stress hormones and it alters their behavior, but also on the habitat in which the microbes live in, i e the gut, the regional transit rates. So their environment changes if somebody is angry, chronically stressed. doesn't make a big difference if that happens acutely. So if you stress, but 10 minutes on the freeway or angry for half an hour, that will not have a major effect. But if it's a chronic condition, then almost certainly that, and that has been shown both in animals and humans. So when I say we don't have the final evidence for what this relationship is, it's because we don't know what the chicken and the egg is, or is it both, you know, which, uh, so you're, Your question, and specifically, what can somebody do to that is suffering from chronic anxiety, chronic depression, uh, I would say the thing that I would recommend for for anybody, even if you don't have any of these uh, disorders or problems, is a, a diet that is optimized for the health of the gut microbiome, and that is that is a largely diverse plant-based diet. Not exclusively, there's there's no good evidence that being vegan is better than largely plant-based. But but in terms of the health of the microbiome, their food, what they thrive on and from which they produce these health-promoting molecules is fiber and is a group of molecules called polyphenols, very large molecules that, that our small intestine cannot break down or absorb. So they have to go down into the large intestine or the, the end of the small intestine where there's a sufficient density of, of, of the microbes, whether they're then broken down into smaller pieces. These smaller pieces are used both by the microbes for their own food supply, but they also have a beneficial effect on the gut lining the health to the gut, the, the gut permeability, um, but they also absorb into the systemic circulation and go all the way to the brain. So we know that, um, so just a couple of examples. Dr. Uh, May,
1: I'm gonna just interrupt you for one second. Please hold that thought because we're gonna come back to this in just a minute after our break. Thank you. Okay,
4: sounds good. Does it feel like something is wrong but all your tests come back normal? Does your doctor downplay your symptoms? You've tried every medication, pill, detox tea, supplement, and you're still seeing no improvements? Your body has healing superpowers. Your body intuitive practitioner can find what's wrong. A body intuitive practitioner is waiting to unlock the story behind your symptoms. Register for your first Body Intuitive session today at bodyintuitive.org. Book by March 1st for 50% off on your first session.
5: What if you had an easy way to reset your mind and body out of overwhelm in just a couple of minutes and every single day?
6: Elemental resets are easy to apply, gorgeously restorative, and allow you to have emotional as well as energetic balance. Elemental reset from body intuitive restores your natural healing ability from the inside out, connecting you with all of nature.
5: The Elemental Reset course gives you six self-care survival tools to increase your healing superpowers to energize, detox, calm, and rejuvenate yourself. This course is available today as an e-course or live online on March 14th. For more information and to register, visit us at bodyintuitive.org. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back
0: to the marvel of mind-body medicine. If you have questions for Dr. Janet and Dr. Laura or their guests, please email us at healing at bodyintuitive.org. That's healing at bodyintuitive.org. Now, back to the show.
3: So to continue the previous um, conversation, you know, what you can do to both a healthy person to optimize your gut microbiome and protect yourself against disturbances like viral infections or any health, um, you know, any any diseases, but also if you're already a patient, is to supply your microbes with the molecules that our human body can really not deal with effectively when that's Largely molecules of very large size. The two best known are fiber molecules, and there are hundreds of different types of fibers. And there's the polyphenols, also very large. Uh, they're called polyphenols because the element that they're built from is a phenol ring, and if you add a lot of these rings together, then it becomes a big molecule. So there's too large to be absorbed, and we, have, we don't have enzymes in in our small intestine to break them down. Um, so once they get down to the microbes, the the microbes will now break them down into small molecules that are A, beneficial for the microbes themselves. So they support ecosystem health. They act on the gut lining, on the epithelial layer, on the immune system in the gut, and they get absorbed into the systemic circulation. The two main Molecules that come from these two components, short-chain fatty acids from fiber. There's obviously It's very simplified. There's many more molecules that are being produced in metabolites. But we know from the short-chain fatty acids, such as butyrate, that they are anti-inflammatory. And they have an anti-inflammatory effect at all levels that I mentioned to you, from the gut's immune system, all, all the way to the brain. Um, it's almost like it's the aspirin that we produce with the help of the microbes. And we, we, we a, a, a person on a healthy diet, also should always should have a a healthy level of these anti-inflammatory molecules, counteracting the inflammatory ones that uh, are metabolites are the metabolites. And the other group of molecules, the polyphenols. So, the largest group are a group called um, flavonoids, um, and they essentially come, it's a very interesting group of molecules, it's the medicine of the plants that the plants produce to protect themselves against any kind of stress or disease, then they're they're produced in collaboration that the plant's root system has with the microbes in the soil. So the microbes in the soil essentially determine how many of these healthy molecules the plant contains. And then when we eat this plant, these molecules will then reach our microbes. So it's a transfer from the soil to our gut and produce these, these beneficial effects. And as, um, so it's very easy when you think about what kind of diet, you know, what can you do to improve your uh, optimize your gut microbiome? It's, to feed them what's optimal for for them. We haven't done this in the standard American diet. We've taken out a lot of these substances like fiber in this ultra processed food, um, you know, be it potatoes, be it rice, be it um, anything that had a lot of fiber in it. Food processing has taken it out to make it tastier and uh <clears throat> And I think there's gradually an, an, an awareness to return back to you know what our ancestors basically, the, the unprocessed. Uh, so yeah, I always say it's very easy to make the recommendation, what you can do to improve the health of your gut microbiome. It's much, much more difficult to get the science complete to understand all the mechanisms, you know, and that could take another decade easily before we really understand these tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of metabolites that are generated and interact with each other. Um, ultimately, to understand how they work on the brain, for example, I, I think will require something like artificial intelligence to reconcile a 100,000 molecules that interact on parts of the brain. <laughs> what does that ultimately do? You know, so... Yeah
2: yeah it's a, a very big network to dissect in the lab. Yeah so I want I want to follow up on this conversation on diet that we're having. So let's say that we've made poor dietary choices in the past. We had a lot of processed food, um, uh, simple carbs, sugar, uh, etc. If we switch to a largely plant-based diet that is giving our uh, microbiome the food it needs—the fibers and the polyphenols—can we repair our gut microbiome? And and how long does that take? Does that take days, weeks, months? Uh, what 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 can we do um, to recover from bad diet in the past?
3: Yeah. So one. Um feature of the microbiome is it's not just 40 trillion of them, but it's hundreds of millions of genes, many of which we don't know their function. And But it gives them the ability to rapidly adapt to any new uh, situation, such as a new diet. So within the studies, within 24 to 48 hours, you can change the gut microbiome from somebody who was a vegetarian to a meat eater and vice versa provided the individual is willing to do that. Um, And uh, so this is something that our gut is not able to do because our gut operates, you know, with with our 20,000 genes and the functions that they encode. And these genes don't change overnight. It, It takes thousands of years before the chains really adapt to a new situation. So there's this mismatch between this rapidly adapting microbiome to the diet and the slowly adapting or poorly adapting uh, immune system, for example. Um, the The good news, so in some ways, that is a good news that we can, you know modify or return our microbes back to a level that it it's it functions better for for us and for our gut. I don't think we have the ability, based on the current evidence, despite this adaptability, to return to, for example, what the remnants of hunter gatherers um, in in Africa or in you know in South America, that diversity and richness and abundance that they have uh, in in their guts. Um, that that's probably not possible because you've you lost. This is a topic referred to as the silent extinction. Um, Dr. Blazer, whom I recently interviewed on a on a podcast and who is featured in a documentary, the the uh, invisible um, extinction, he has shown that there's this gradual loss loss of certain microbial strains um, in you know in 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 Western people and in animal models, it's been shown that this is transmitted and aggravated from generation to generation. So if you raise an animal on a um, on an unhealthy diet and the next generation you feed it with a healthy diet, the microbial diversity will come back. But if you do this for another generation, it will not come back. It will stay diminished. And something like this has probably happened in humans as well. So many of these, um, Original microbes from hundreds, of thousands of years ago will probably never come back again, um, and I mean, you could ask the question: Do we really need all of those? You know, like if you look at the the, the Yanomami indigenous people on the Orinoco River, what the, all the things that they eat—the plants and berries and roots and tubers—we don't really that that's not our, our diet. So we don't have to have a microbiome that's so sophisticated to break all these things down. But we want one um, that is sufficiently healthy to produce a intact mucus layer and an intact gut barrier. That that's really the goal. We don't want to re you know bring back something from from hundreds of thousands of years ago that we don't need. But um and I would say, you know, we don't have the best studies on that, but we definitely there are studies that have shown that people on a a Mediterranean style diet that um that they have an increase of of healthy or health promoting microbiome um species and, and and strains, defined largely by their ability to Produce short-chain fatty acids, these inflammatory substances, and also by the ability, like acemannia, to stimulate mucus production in the in 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 the gut. So this is the good news. We can do it. It won't help to um, to switch. You know, for a couple of weeks. I mean, it's like these things require a, I would say, a permanent change in the lifestyle and the diet. These are not fat diets. These are. You know, I think there's there's enough science and evidence now that we don't have to argue like people still do in these almost diet culture wars, you know, if it's high fat, low fat. Uh, the, the most important thing is really these these plant components that, that we need to feed our, our microbes.
1: So very interesting. You know, uh, my background is in Chinese medicine, and we say that, that 90% of our time is spent thinking about food, preparing food, eating food, digesting food. So food is such a is such a huge subject here. And um, I wanted to bring up one one thing that's of interest, particular interest to me and that is um, the concept of a grain free diet. So you know we've heard that you know grains are bad or carbohydrates are bad. And in in Chinese medicine, we think that um, you know rice is is very important. You know, particularly, of course, organic brown rice. And I don't know if you're familiar with um, Dr. Liu's work. He's a professor at Cornell, and he ran an interesting study uh, with the American um, Institute for Cancer Research that basically showed that it's really good to eat brown rice, that brown rice contain very, it's contain very powerful phytonutrients. And, and, and what he said is that, you know, typically it's, it's more free form phytonutrients that have been studied, you know, these nutrients that dissolve very quickly in the bloodstream. And they haven't looked at what he calls the bound form, which uh, are these forms of of nutrients that attach to the walls of the basically of the plant cells, and they have to be released by our healthy intestinal bacteria during the digestive process before they can be absorbed. And so, this includes things like um, quercetin and, and and curcumin and and others. And so, you know, he talks about here that we have to kind of look to. Um, this other form of of phytonutrients. He said in the past, whole grains have really gotten kind of a bad rap because they were measured by their free form instead of their, their, their bound form. So their nutrient quality has been very um, underestimated. So I'm just curious, in light of this, what is your opinion of diets that restrict grains?
3: Yeah, so I'm not a fan of it. You know, I'm definitely very strongly supportive of removing sugar as much as possible. Um you know, because sugar is absorbed directly without any delay into the it's emptied quickly from the stomach and is directly absorbed in the small intestine, proximal small intestine. Um you essentially starving your microbes if you get most of your most of your calories in form of sugary foods. <clears throat> um but there's a big difference between the, the general category of carbohydrates. I mean, complex carbohydrates I would say are, should be part of a healthy diet. And as you know, there's been sort of an unfortunate um, popularization that um, carbs are bad and um, you know, it, which, which has led to this concept of the ketogenic diet that you have to remove all carbs from your diet. I mean, it's I mean complex carbohydrates are a big part of what you want to feed your microbes it's not um and even the people that have were well, the initial promoters of 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 this you know no no carb diet have sort of changed their view given the science that has emerged um and I mean there's also something you know if if you like, for example, carbohydrates in, 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 in fruits and vegetables, a lot of them have the conscious carbohydrates in many fruits slow down the absorption of the sugar that's in the fruit as well. So, you don't get the same, you know, sugar glucose spike or insulin spike from it. Um, These other group of molecules that you mentioned, so I'm not familiar with Dr. Lu's work, but I mean, that sounds you know that this does make sense to me but there's a, a whole other group of molecules like turmeric for example which is also a very large molecule and it it belongs in the same category that you know you need the microbes to process it and into absorbable um, anti-inflammatory molecules you you can take a lot of these um these chinese and indian ayurvedic uh, herbs and You'll you'll find a very similar mechanism, you know, large molecules that are that require the microbes to interact with them. There's a lot of wisdom, I, I think, in these traditional healing uh, traditions. Obviously, they didn't know the mechanisms, but today I think we basically can tell from an alchemical analysis, you know, why they are helpful, and from clinical studies like in turmeric we know they have anti-inflammatory effects and can even successfully treat uh, inflammatory bowel disease.
1: Yes. So we are going to continue this conversation after we go to a quick break. Thank you so much, Dr. Mayer.
5: What if you had an easy way to reset your mind and body out of overwhelm in just a couple of minutes and every single day?
6: Elemental resets are easy to apply, gorgeously restorative, and allow you to have emotional as well as energetic balance. Elemental Reset from Body Intuitive restores your natural healing ability from the inside out, connecting you with all of nature.
5: The Elemental Reset course gives you six self-care survival tools to increase your healing superpowers to energize, detox, calm, and rejuvenate yourself. This course is available today as an e-course or live online on March 14th. For more information and to register, visit us at bodyintuitive.org.
4: Does it feel like something is wrong, but all your tests come back normal? Does your doctor downplay your symptoms? You've tried every medication, pill, detox tea, supplement, and you're still seeing no improvements? Your body has healing superpowers. Your body intuitive practitioner can find what's wrong. A body intuitive practitioner is waiting to unlock the story behind your symptoms. Register for your first Body Intuitive Session today at BodyIntuitive.org. Book by March 1st for 50% off on your first session.
5: Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to the marvel
0: of mind-body medicine. If you have questions for Dr. Janet and Dr. Laura or their guests please email us at healing at bodyintuitive.org. That's healing at bodyintuitive.org. Now back to the show.
2: So we're going to switch gears now um, away from diet. There's a lot more we could say about diet. Um, But uh, Dr. Mayer, are there other lifestyle factors that can make a difference for our microbiome? For example, um, does exercise Impact our microbiome and how might that be?
3: Yeah, so there are good studies uh, both in animals um, and in humans with exercise. Make a long story short extreme exercise like ultramarathons or triathlons are actually bad for the gut, for the gut lining, for the the leakiness, and are bad for the microbes. So, very good studies with um, Military populations, on you know endurance training. So if anybody thinks that if they pursue any of these sports that that's good for their gut or their gut health, um, you know they're definitely wrong. there's the evidence is there. On the other hand, mild to moderate but regular physical exercise seems to have a beneficial effect on the diversity and uh, health of the gut microbial ecosystem. The mechanisms that underlie this are um, are, are not exactly known. Uh, you know, I, I would say they they almost have to go through the autonomic nervous system and the signals that this kind of exercise generates uh, that affects the habitat and the ecosystem, the the, the, the place where the microbes live in, the, the regional transit, the secretion, the blood flow. Um, so regular. As it has been shown for many other health benefits, um, you know, regular multi um, moderate exercise is definitely something that, that I recommend to my patients. And there's, an, there's a, another category. So, one is the exercise you get from going to the gym, which you should do three to four times a week. And then the exercise that you should do during the daytime, where well, we have become Basically, a sedentary species in the last seventy five years from from moving around and uh, you know doing physical work to spending ninety percent of our time sitting in front of a computer or, or a screen, <laughs> and that has been shown to actually have significantly negative health effects you know and so the recommendation is both change your daily routine by getting up every hour. Going up and down the stairs, or you know, doing some um, sit-ups or push-ups. If you can do this in your office, um, in addition to going, doing moderate to vigorous exercise three to four times a week. So that's kind of the the optimal recommendation. Not everybody can do it, but it's it's cheap, you know. So you don't have to. Then there was the other point that um, that we had talked about earlier before. So when When do you eat? um so it's not just important what you eat and you know where your food comes comes from. It should be grown in a way that is full of these phytonutrients, meaning in a organic type uh, agriculture. Um, when you eat it, so there's different times of um uh, time restricted eating uh, regimens or intermittent fasting. I always go by w- what is realistic, Un- unless for the, per- the person is, for spiritual reasons, is willing to go to retreats and fast for a week or two, which probably has health benefits, or has the discipline to not eat two days a week while going to work regularly. There's a technique that is time-restricted eating, which is not really fasting because you can officially eat the same amount of calories. But you limit them to um, a period of eight hours of of your waking hours and leave the gut alone for sixteen hours. <clears throat> and this has been shown both in animal models and in in human studies. This has a profound effect on the microbial um, where they localize if they localize close to the gut lining or if they are in the middle of the gut how much they interact with cells in the gut lining. Um, And importantly, which is often not mentioned, when your gut is empty, so those 16 hours, it switches to a contraction pattern where it becomes very regular, like a clockwork. Every 90 minutes, you have a wave of contractions going down from your esophagus to the end of your intestine, which cleans out uh, your entire gut. So you have this intrinsic... um, cleansing mechanism without doing anything else, you will, you know, wake up in the morning um, with having the bacteria being pushed back into the right places. They don't cause uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, And so it's a very simple thing. Another thing that happens, so I've in our family, we have practiced this time restricted eating. You automatically, eat less, even though that's not a a part of the diet. You eat less because when you eat your dinner at 7 or at 8 and you're not supposed to eat anything afterwards, you eliminate the whole snacking in front of the TV or the the glasses of wine. So you can subtract at least 500 calories a day that you will eat less without really fasting. You know, it's just like there's no time to do that. And um, so... Uh, again, I recommend this to my patients. The science in humans, science in animals, is convincing. Science in humans is um, is mixed. The evidence is, is mixed. Some very good studies showing positive effects on metabolic health and um, you know uh, diabetes. Others have not shown this. But you can imagine it's hard to enforce a study like this. Unless you keep people in the hospital and and don't give them the access to to any food after eight o'clock in the evening. So these are difficult studies to do. And that's why you know human studies are so so much fewer than the mouse studies where that's easy to enforce,
1: yeah. we have a saying in in Chinese medicine, um we say breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. And, and part of that really has to do with the, the 24-hour circadian Chinese clock where, you know, the idea is that you, you get up in the morning and between 7 and 11 a.m., we call it earth element time. And, of course, earth element relates to, you know, the food. Um, and, and I think, you know, most of us have had the experience where if we have a good breakfast, <clears throat> then usually that's followed up by some very clear thinking in the morning, right? So between the hours of, of nine and 11 often is when we do our best thinking. And according to um, the, the Chinese doctors, it's really because we're kind of following the uh, the eating pattern um, that, the, that the sages dictated. And, and also because there is such a strong connection between the digestive system and the brain, so in Chinese medicine, they really talk about this relationship between the earth element and the conscious mind and and our thinking process. So it's, it's very interesting that you you know you've also been experimenting with these different you know diet types and really seeing that they positively
3: can affect health. Because we have just a, just a, one comment to that, you know, yes, the yes. healthy breakfast definitely, um, but it shouldn't be the sugary. Reference oh. <laughs> cereals that, uh, you know, have been ingrained in parents' minds. Um, my kid has to have that bowl of cereal, which is, you know, packed with, with added sugar, because that will just cause an insulin spike and hung, being hungry after uh, after an hour again. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, food
1: choices are so important, and, and sometimes it's very difficult um, to convince people that they should make some changes in their diet, so... <laughs> Yeah.
2: So in in our last few minutes here, Dr. Mayer, we want to return to something that you mentioned earlier, which is you you, um, have an interest in ancient healing systems and you've, I believe, worked in Venezuela and Indonesia. And that's really in line with really the system that Janet and I have developed in practice where Janet's background in classical Chinese medicine principles that are thousands of years old Uh, We're integrating with this latest science on the mind-body connection, on the microbiome, on epigenetics. And so I'm wondering if from your experience working with these ancient systems, are there things missing in our modern healthcare view um, in your perspective? And what type of integration do you think is possible to fill in these these missing uh, pieces of wisdom?
3: So the most important thing that's missing is this philosophy of interconnectedness, you know, that permeates obviously Asian, I mean, not just Chinese, but also Indian thinking that everything in the world is interconnected and we're we're one node in this gigantic, you know, cosmic uh, network. And I think that's gotten lost completely in, in Western science and because science does exactly the opposite. You focus on one element and eliminate, control everything else you get a lot of positive results, but they can't be reproduced then in a in a real life situation. Uh, so that's one thing that everything is interconnected, not just uh, you know, the spirit, the mind, the brain, and the body, particularly the gut. Um, it's I think we're still, despite all the discussion in the lay press and like when we talk about this in podcasts, despite that it's not become an integral part of uh, medical school curricula. Except in a few new areas of medicine, like functional medicine or uh, naturopathic medicine, I don't agree hundred percent with those practitioners because, you know, they they derive a lot of their income from selling supplements. But I do believe their philosophy, you know, that it's that um, that every every chronic disease is influenced by multiple factors um in your environment. Um and as I said, the, the the way you think about it, the way um you're you're connected mentally to um to the health of the environment. You only eat things that are not harmful to the environment. So I, I think this is a it's the, the part that I've admired the most and at some point we we actually had discussed to making a documentary entitled The Interconnected Planet where you know this is something looking at how far we have evolved away from from that idea and and are now coming back to it so in science now all of a sudden we're not talking about an individual microbe but about networks of microbes. Mm-hmm. The same with the genes we don't want to find that single gene we we look at gene networks so the genome um, and at the brain level, we talk about the brain connectome. You know, so science is rapidly readapting this ancient philosophical construct of everything is interconnected. And I, I think this ultimately will change profoundly our our medicine and our approach to health and disease because, the I mean, the current approach is simply not sustainable. The, the cost that comes out of a medicine that doesn't take into consu- consideration this interconnectedness it's just not sustainable, um, maybe for some time still in in the US, but certainly not in developing uh, economies, developing countries. It, there's just not enough money to do that. And um, so I'm, I'm optimistic. I think we're sort of on the verge of a paradigm shift uh, that I also believe that that's purely a guess, um, that female physicians are more likely to embrace that type of female and health professionals, that kind of approach. So we see it in our, at our center, you know, most of the, the pre-med students are now women. Um, and I think that will drive a revolution on its own, you know, because it's, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic, pessimistic. What we're going to see first in terms of all these chronic diseases unfolding uh, causing more and more medications to keep people alive, but not not keep them healthy. Um, but the positive side that we will come out of this on the other end with, with a new view view of medicine, which is more similar to those traditional healing systems that we talked about.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Mayer. Um, he, Dr. Mayer, has been our guest today. We've been talking to him about the gut mind connection thank
3: you so much for being on the program today it's been a real pleasure thank you for inviting me
2: yeah and before we close is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners about where they can find you
3: okay so the simplest way is to go to my website um, and you'll find a lot of resources there from our podcast sign up for them for a a lot of recipes, um, and so you, you'll find pretty much everything there. I should also say, um, my second book, the Gut Immune Connection, will come out as a paperback in a few months, under the new title, the Mind Gut Immune Connection. We've, for, we've forgotten the mind on the title, <laughs> hard copy. Um, and as you said in the beginning, you know, we're working on this documentary film, uh, also yeah. on the the Mind Gut Immune Connection. So.
2: Yeah, we look forward to seeing that. So, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. And I'm Dr. Laura, and we have had our guest, uh, Dr. Mayer, here today. Next week, we're going to host a conversation on natural healthcare options for kids and teens. Find us at bodyintuitive.org in the meantime.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Marvel of Mind Body Medicine. It's our mission to remind you that your body wants to heal. Join us again next week. Be well and remember, your body has answers. We'd like to share a special thank you to our friends, Flying Mystics. If you enjoyed their music as much as we do, you can find them at FlyingMystics.com. That's www.FlyingMystics.com.